0: So Rugged and righteous are two words that come to mind when I introduce our guest because we've got a godly man, full of faith, full of Christ, and just an outdoor guy, like a professional outdoor hunter who people hire to take them on these big game international hunts. Um, but he's also, he's an author, he's a musician Um, I want to get into some of his accomplishments and just some of the things he does, but I got to tell you, I was reading this guy's book and man, he was gracious enough to send me a copy and I dug in and I want to tell you guys, we're going to save your life today. I'm just going to say it right up front. Going to get in your face. We're going to save your life today because there's five man killers that he covers in his book. But first I want to formally introduce Brent Henderson. Welcome man. Hey, good to be here. Hey, man. It's awesome to to finally meet you. We talked, you know, a few months back and I was reading one of your devotionals, which is how I even came across who you are, because I'm not a hunter. So I don't know how else we would have ever met. But I came across this devotional part of the book that you wrote, and it was, it was, it was eye-opening. It was it was really a game changer for me. But man, I want to go down some of the accomplishments that you've done, some of the things you've done in life, and and we're going to unpack some of this. But like I said, an author of a book called The Roar Within, um, you're a speaker, uh, like I said, professional outdoorsman, uh, John Maxwell, certified life coach, an ordained pastor, which I did not know until you let me know that, a recording artist, of course. Um, You've you've toured with Stephen Curtis Chapman, groups like Avalon. Um, (laughs) In the Christian world, we know who those people are, no doubt. Uh, you know, you've been featured, it says, on outreach uh, events, uh, like the Billy Graham Crusade, the Promise Keepers uh, conferences, so I don't know that there's, I mean, it doesn't say national chess champion, so maybe that's one thing (laughs) you have left to do, Um, so, you know, the bucket list just gets longer for you, but no, I mean, man, uh, talk about your, I got to get into your musical career at first, just because, and that's not really where we're going, but I'm a fan of music, I write lyrics, but I don't sing, I'm not a musician, I, I, I can live through my son, who's taken up the guitar the last few years, plays in his youth worship band, so I can live through him, but man, talk about how, your your musical journey a little bit, just the passion for writing, the passion for, for worship music, and just kind of your background in that.
1: Yeah, you know, like yeah. my background, you know, as a kid growing up, You know, I grew up in a little town called Rocky Grove, Pennsylvania. I mean, it was it was a blink when you were through the town. Mm -hmm. And it was a place, you know, like from being in Texas, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you got to be pretty rough and rugged and there's wrestling, you know, there's there's football. I mean, there's a big sports and it was the same thing in Pennsylvania. You worked in the steel mill. I mean, that's the way it was in the oil fields. And my dad uh, was a school teacher. you know, where I grew up. My mom was a choir director. My dad didn't hunt. Um, He wasn't, you know, real athletic. And so I was kind of caught in this weird thing because you've got a mom who's like the choir director and wanting you to do music and your dad, who's not doing sports, but it's a big sports area. You're trying to impress all your buddies and trying to fit in. And here I was, I was like, I graduated high school, like 118 pounds. I mean, I was, I always joked and said, I was so skinny. I could stick my tongue out and turn sideways and look like a zipper. I mean, I was really skinny, (laughs) but you know, I hid music for a long time because I thought my worth and value came from what I did. And so I would, you know, I played, you know, I played a lot of softball and baseball and some things that I didn't have to be as big, um, like as in football or whatever. And that that kind of carried over. What's interesting is when I, when I went, I worked in the steel mill for the next three years after I graduated high school, trying to, you know, get my man card, right? Yeah. And so finally, one night I was sitting in the steel mill and and we've been pouring steel in these big vats, and one of them blew up. There was some water in the bottom of it, and I mean, the place erupted like a like a volcano. And there was injuries, injuries, and I felt God speak to me at that moment because I was starting to get involved and running around with the wrong crowd, trying to prove my manhood. And God said, "All right, listen, I got a plan for your life, but you're going to have to give it to me. Um, do you want to stay where you are and just keep going down this path? It's not going to end well for you, or you can choose the path that I have for you." Mm-hmm. And it was and I, I really I was running a thing called an overhead box crane. I was way up in the top of this steel mill by myself, you know, with pouring this, this steel and doing all these things. And I felt God speak to me now at about the age of 14. That's when I can say I really started talking to God. You know, I, I grew up. I always said I was born in a pew. I mean, my parents were always in church, yeah. but about the age of 14. I started saying, God, I want to know you more. And I started actually praying, God, I want to know your voice when you're speaking to me. And so I had been building a relationship kind of quietly. And then that, that night when that whole thing blew up in the steel mill, I heard God speak to me and he Mm -hmm. said, listen, I've got a plan for you. You're willing to, to take a risk. Um, so packed up, I felt like the Beverly Hillbillies packed up my bags and I moved, um, you know, to the state of Indiana, and, and I grew up in the Appalachian Mountains. I love the mountains, and I went to a place that was just flat with cornfields, but I started meeting these people in college that were really involved in music, and some of them were, were pretty cool, um, and so here I am. I'm in a practice room, and I'm playing and singing, and a guy comes and knocks on the door, and he goes, hey, because he I was listening. You mind if we, like, maybe play a little bit together? My brother's here with me, too, and so we started playing, Next thing you know, we had a band we we formed called the Chapman Henderson Band, and I was the Henderson, and the Chapman was Stephen Curtis Chapman, but at the time, it was before the Curtis part, right? Wow. So we toured for the next two and a half years um, traveling around the country, and then we know the rest of that story. He got a solo deal and and then went that way, and then I formed a group called One. Um, We ended up being with Word and Epic Records and toured with Sandy Patty for five years and sang with her on the road. And then I just kind of kept moving. You know, I'd be off the road, on the road, off the road, you know, Avalon, Crystal, Lewis, Gaithers, all kinds of different things. But what's really amazing is, and maybe we'll unpack this a little bit later, is whenever we get our worth and value from what we do or what other people think about us, it's a dead end and it'll kill us. It'll make our emotions go up and down constantly trying to find our good enough. And that was a journey for me. I mean, being on this stuff with music like this, when you, you feel like you're somebody, when you're out there, you're singing in front of 10, 20,000 people. And everyone wants your autograph, you know, it's like cheers. Everybody knows your name. Right. 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 And you got songs on the radio. I had a bunch of number ones, all these things are happening and you felt like a somebody, but then when, for instance, Steve got a solo deal, then I started to feel like just an anybody again. Right, right. Hey, then I got another, you know, another tour coming up with a big artist, or I'm opening up for Avalon or Crystal Lewis. And then I'm off the road again. And you begin to, eventually you begin to feel like a nobody.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Worth and
1: values in the wrong place.
0: Well, I'm glad you said that because I'm going to read a quote from your book that stood out to me and I highlighted it. And I want the audience to hear this and I definitely want them to get the book and we're going to let them know where to get it later. But along the lines of what you just said, I want to read this. It says, when, when you take away a man's purpose, you've taken away his passion, his will to live, his identity. The problem occurs when... Um, we believe our purpose comes from what we do or what others think of us. The belief belief leads a man to take his do I have what it takes question to the wrong place. Where does he go with this question? To his performance and other people's opinions. When he fears not being enough, he will create an elaborate mask displaying a false self to attempt to prove he's good enough. Yep. And that, that paragraph stood out to me and it talks exactly to what you were just saying. So that's what I want to dig into. I want to talk about this book and, you know, the five man killers is what really stood out to me. And, and maybe that was what you wanted to take away to be, of course, because those seem like the pillars and uh, the crux of it. And you, you add a lot of different hunting stories and um, some stories of courage where you basically saved the lives of people in a church with a guy that came in and had a bow and and an arrow and was going to hurt people and you just kind of tackled this guy but um i i want to talk about the first i want to ask you a couple things about men's ministry in regards to your life and your purpose and your quest on this you've done a lot of speaking you've written a book obviously um what drew you to this like what was the red flag in men's ministry for the christian men in the world What drew you to really have a footprint in that spectrum?
1: Yeah, man, I read a book called Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. There you go. And uh, it was not churchy. It was not, uh, I don't know how to say it. I'm not going to try to be woke here. It it wasn't girly. It was masculine. Mm -hmm. It spoke to my soul, who I was created to be, how I was created to be. And it just called me up to a, a different level. I wasn't having to try to pose or try to act religious, you know, wear the religious mask to try to get other people's, you know, good opinion to me. Um, and it just, it just woke me up. And so after I read it, you know, it's, it's an interesting timeline because I had been on tour with, with Avalon and Crystal Lewis in 1998 on the gold tour. And I read this book in like 2001 and, and I was off tour because I'd had, you know, when it was second child was born. And I was trying to figure out, should I stay in music? You know, should I stay or should I go? You know, whatever.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now I feel like I'm watching. What was that? Yeah, that you that gotta, hey,
0: Anytime you have a musician on, he's going to break into song. Uh, no, I,
1: it's okay. Um, so I, I took a church out in Pennsylvania to be worship leader back in an area not far from where I grew up. And what was really interesting was when I got there, they wanted me to, you know, do the praise teams. And then they asked me if I would do a choir and all this stuff. And then they gave me a thousand other jobs to do but men's ministry wasn't one of them. But at my core, that was my passion. Mm. Um, Again, growing up, I think sometimes, you know, I was bullied as a kid. My dad was a teacher in the school where I was. And I knew what it felt like to, to feel like the rug was pulled out from underneath you to basically have your shorts dropped in front of everybody. I knew what that felt like, how emasculating it is. And I wanted to encourage men to let them know you have what it takes. Stop listening to what other people are saying about you. No matter how big you are, no matter how tough you are, no matter what your grades, money, girlfriend, whatever it looks like, that has nothing to do with who you really are. And I begin to feel this change happen in me. And so I took on the men's ministry at this church. They didn't even have one. Now get this within about the first three months, I had over 72 guys that were involved in doing men's ministry stuff in a church of 250 because you start speaking their language. It was, it was like a mean to discover yeah. you want That's to reach them. You speak to their masculine soul and let them know you do have what it takes and, you know, you get so many men can be beaten down by other guys or even sometimes, you know, not necessarily intended, but their wives because they're they're, they're trying to get their worth and value from her. Yeah. Um, and you, you can't really lead well when you're trying to um, figure out who you
0: are. Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. And there's a hunger for it. And there still is, you know, and and. You know, fast forward all these years and, and with culture and the in the climate we're in right now with social media, different things and just how the world is emasculating or trying to redefine what masculinity is, man, we need more books like this. We need more guys reading wild at heart and actually applying these masculine because we do have a dichotomy of can we be a lion? Or do we have to be a lamb? We can't be both, right? You know, Jesus was the lion and the lamb. And and it's, that's why when I mentioned rugged and righteous at the beginning, you know, your track record shows that, you know, righteousness, people kind of get scared of that word, but righteousness to me is just, you're trying to reflect the character of Christ and you're trying to do his work and you're trying to lead people to him. That's, that's righteousness, not perfection. So you're both. And, and so I think, Guys now, today's in the church, think they have to be one or the other. And, and if they're rugged, they can't be in the pews, right? Or they can't necessarily serve in, in church because they're, they're a little too rough around the edges. Uh, so may, let's, let's talk about a couple of these. I'm going to read the five killers that you have in your book. So I told guys we we're going to save their lives today. So the five man killers that are out there that you have are lack of purpose, disrespect, anger, lust, and shame. And and I would say the last two, I would argue those probably go together. One kind of leads into the other. Um, and did you have a reason for the order that you went in on these, or do you have them in order of importance? Was there kind of a method to your madness on this?
1: Yeah, I had a, uh, uh, I have a a private Facebook group called Dangerous Men, and we know it's I don't know it's about five hundred guys, and. What I did was I put out there about 15 different things. I said, guys, I'm working on this new section for the book. My book was already done. Baker Publishing had already received the manuscript, loved it, everything we thought was done. And then they said, you know what? You're tapping on something with these these man killers. Could you unpack that a little more in the book for us? And this is crazy story, COVID hits, right? Yeah. But at the same time, I put this out with the guys. It was March of last year. And I said, guys, give me like these the top five of these 15 that I'm giving you in order of importance to you, where they hammer you the hardest. Mm. Um, you know, the top one. I didn't see number one coming. I didn't even see it being in the top five. It was mm. number one, hands down. I mean, it wow. wasn't even close. I thought I thought, you know, a lack of respect and lust were going to be like right up there. And what you said about shame, you know, it's interesting because shame kind of plays into all of them. Yeah. You know, when, when we feel like we, we don't have a purpose, we kind of feel a little ashamed. Well, what's wrong with me if I don't? If I'm feeling disrespected and I get upset about it, you know, if I get angry, there you go. Number three, again, I start to feel ashamed. Lust, a guy lust, he starts to feel shame. But the way that it came out, shame being number five, it does kind of tie in.
0: Yeah.
1: But here was a really cool thing. So when COVID hit, you know, my, my speaking schedule was was slam full. I'd had a book come out a couple of years before this um, with another publisher. And so because of that, I was really booked up heavily. And man, on March 14th, my phone rang off the hook with every event canceling. Yeah, we can't do this. You know, the social distancing and the fear factor and all this. And all of a sudden, I'm going, wait a second, what do I do? I'm, I'm an author and a speaker here now. That's what I do with my life. That's my purpose. It's just just was taken away. And I started to feel it. And then I went, now I get why God allowed me for the next you know, almost year to go through not having that to lean on. You know, mm-hmm. People knowing you because of a book or people wanting you to speak. Again, just like in music, I found myself getting my worth and value from the wrong place. So now God allowed me to go through that. So when I unpack this with the number one, the lack of purpose, I can really speak again from my own experience. And what the enemy does is, you know, the whole thing with lack of purpose is he wants to make you feel like you're not good enough. Right. And, and that's the thing is, if if a man feels like he's got all these things going on, he feels like he must be good enough because God's opened all these doors. But when they start to shut, he begins to question, he he might wonder, you know, was I just not ready? God, Um, did I do something? This is your punishment kind of a deal. You know, all those thoughts come through our head and the enemy is the one who's planning those thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, But man, it's, what ended up happening was imagine this for a second. So COVID hits, let's say any guy sitting out there in, in this, in the world right now, really. So let's say he lost his job yeah. and he begins to feel a lack of purpose. That's what he loved to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Well,
1: now say his wife is like, you know what? You're just going to have to go find any job right now. Cause we have to have the money. I don't care what you do. I don't care whatever it is, suck it up. Well, now he begins to feel disrespected. Right. Number two. Right. Well, what does that cause? Number three, he begins to feel angry. Anger can now lead to something else. It can lead to lust. You know what? My wife's treating me like this. I'll just go to that woman on the screen who's not going to disagree with me. She'll do whatever I want. And again, then, then what happens? Number five, he feels shame.
0: Well, you can if, see if I could jump in. Yeah, I'll jump mm-hmm. in there. And as we're going through this, I might just kind of interject a couple of things because you're hitting some hot buttons here. And and it's really good because like, I feel like when not only, you know, the, the enemy comes to steal, right, and then kill and then destroy, right? So he's stealing our purpose. He's he's basically killing our respect or our, or our peace, and then here comes the anger and all that. So, you know, when you talk about it leads to this lust, it's because I feel like we, we've lost control, like those first three we've lost control. So now we need something that we have dominion over or we have power over, right? We have control over and I'm not a professional, uh, in therapy for addictions to pornography or any of that lust, but, but I will say, you know, every guy has experienced a degree of that. And, and so I I think it's awesome that you, so you had all five of these come back from your group, right? You said that lack of purpose was one and then they all five kind of fell into place, man, that is crazy. So what, what about your journey? I mean, we all kind of fall into this imposter syndrome. And and I know that maybe even whenever you didn't have these speaking engagement that you had, you kind of lost questioned your purpose a little bit, or it was delayed. Did you, you know, and then you kind of get into this, well, what, what am I here to offer? What, what do I have to say that people want to hear? What makes me an authority? So what in your life has made you kind of not an authority? I don't know if you consider yourself that, but maybe Felt confident enough to speak about these things in order to make an impact for these guys?
1: Yeah. um, Well, first of all, I think if a person has thousands of hours of study in any area, um, I think they can become an expert on it. Sure. They don't necessarily always have to have a title behind their name. You know, when I was in college, I was, you know, I was in music performance and um, in Bible, those were my majors. But through the, through the years, God brought me back to the people in my life that were the counselors. You know, I not only got my my life coach certification, but I was training people to be life coaches. Mm. So I had to go through I mean, more than a decade of, of, of training and learning and experiencing. Mm. So, you know, again, I'm not going to be Dr. Phil here. I'm not trying to, to act like I am. But what I do know, the word of God is true. Mm. And I do know that those people that, that were the doctors or their master's degrees that walked with me for over a decade in training me how to do this, had a massive impact on my life. Nothing more so than renewing my mind with truth, because the lies that we buy into, um, we have to learn how to untangle those, those cognitive distortions. Where are they coming from? Why am I believing it? What's it doing in my life? And how do I get rid of that? And we have to learn to take that lie and replace it again with what God says is true. Mm-hmm. So that that behind all of this um, is something that that God has, has, has equipped me, trained me, trained um, me Impassioned me, giving me his wisdom, the gift that I didn't get on my own. It was something he gave. But I've been I've been working with people for for a long, long time and untangling this stuff. Yeah. So I don't know if that kind of answered your question. It does.
0: It does. It does. I just kind of wondered if you had any spots spots along the journey that were eye-opening for you in the regard of these five things maybe before you became oh, gosh, yeah. so trained like can you give the listener something to relate to where you're yes. like in the trenches you know on the ground with them going through some of the same yep. stuff
1: let's just get down and get dirty about this i mean we'll be vulnerable here um you know back in 2006 um uh, at that church i was sharing with earlier where i had been starting the men's ministry and doing the music um, you know, I had been working 70 to 80 hours every single week. And any worship leader out there will tell you, especially if you've got a lot more job descriptions than just that, because you you will. I mean, you're, you're just going to be out there working. I didn't have good boundaries then to be able to say, hey, no, I need more family time. I need to be here because, again, my worth and value. Here we go again. Yeah, was being used. Right. Yeah. The church must need me. So I'm going to be available not only now for doing music and men's stuff, but it was a constant knock on my door. I'm oh, sorry, i can yeah. get my dog barking here. It was a constant, um, hey, can you help me? And so yeah. what ended up happening was after about, about five years of being on, on church staff, and I was having problems with my marriage at home. And again, there were some things there that, you know, I'm not going to throw my my ex-wife under the bus. And that was something else yeah. being vulnerable. With that. You know, I went through a divorce years ago. But the, the difficult thing was we were really struggling at home. There were some, some other issues that were happening. And there was a woman on the praise team who was just speaking words of life into me. You know, um, boy, I wouldn't treat you this way or I would have done this differently or whatever. And so I never met this woman outside of the building, but I got too close emotionally. We got into conversations about relationship we never should have been in. And, you know, when when I went forward and I told the, the senior pastor and, and then the whole staff was brought into it. Well, that church had had a number of, of, of full-blown affairs that had happened in, in the past, over the last five to 10 years. And I don't know whether I just kind of became the poster child or whatever it was for all this. Um, and, I, and I don't think that they were trying to do something mean intentionally. They just didn't know how to handle it because they didn't want yeah. something to, to turn into something bigger like the other ones had. And so, you know, I was sent away for two weeks of intensive counseling with my then wife. I was uh, had to go through local counseling. I was required to go through a 12-step group in case maybe there was some other issue there that, that wasn't yeah. um, out on the, on the front. Um, go through financial planning for 90 days, maybe that was the issue. It was all these band-aids trying to fix it. And the last thing was the final thing that I can say now, my beautiful shipwreck, I call it that, caused. Because the last thing they did, which they even apologized for this later, was they had me get up in front of all three services, 1,500 people, and confess what had happened. Wow. Number five man killer. Wow. Shame. Okay. That one killed me. Wow. I, with my, instead of coming back to, the, to staff position, I signed my letter of resignation, moved my family back to Indiana, and I wanted to die. And even at one point, I put a shotgun in my mouth because the shame was so bad. I didn't want, I, I just, uh, and I didn't even meet this person outside of the workplace, But it hit me that hard. And so when I moved back here, a friend of mine took me to a guy who was leading a small group. And afterwards, he took me aside. And I now call this guy my spiritual Yoda. I mean, the guy is off the charts wisdom. And um, he's got his uh, master's um, from Liberty University. But he discipled me for the next 10 years. I mean, not just monthly or weekly, daily. I would be in his office. Matter of fact, he and I did a lot of podcasts together back then. And that is the big Um, the biggest gift I was ever given because my beautiful shipwreck drove me to want to say to guys, it doesn't matter where you've been, who you are, what you've done, your worth and value in God's eyes didn't change. You bought into a lie. And that's why you went to whatever that thing was that you were tempted to go to, but it didn't change your righteousness. And that's where works-based theology just crushes men because it's all about what you do and not who you are. And the scriptures, Paul is very clear. It's who we are, not what we say and do that counts. Luke chapter 6.
0: Hey, do you guys like free stuff? Well, I mean, of course, not completely free, but maybe 20% free. My sponsors have been gracious enough to give last in line listeners 20% off with the code last in line. So I want to thank our sponsors, Gridiron Coffee. I want to thank Armored coffee i want to thank lead like lions i want to thank our sponsor do work that matters and last but not least i want to thank our guys at cowboy revolution apparel so thank you guys to our sponsors for supporting last in line leadership go get you some stuff go get you some gear last in line discount and get 20 percent off now back to the show so yeah yeah i mean Uh, I mean, I think that's pretty relatable and it's probably really common. Um, you know, guys can get trapped into situations that they really don't see themselves getting into, right. Because it seems harmless. And then the devil knows how to create these pieces and put them in place to lead you down a certain road. And then you look back and you're like, how did I get here? Yes. Um, but, but I, I want to go back to, this disrespect factor, I, I'm interested because I know that guys need respect, right? It's earned, it's not given. Um, I'm it's interesting that this was up so high on the list, I guess. And in, in in my opinion, it seems interesting, but it's it's eye-opening can you maybe speak to some like some of the guys to wrap their brain around? Oh yeah. Disrespect. Yeah. I mean, anybody talks to me, you know, disrespectfully that really bothers me, you know, can you maybe put some more context around this disrespect component and how it, how it actually creates some hemorrhage in other areas?
1: Yeah. I always say that men don't struggle with respect. They struggle with their need for respect Mm
0: -hmm. because it's
1: answering, it's answering that question. Am I enough? Because if you're, if you're giving me respect, that question is being answered. Yeah, I must be good enough, right? Because yeah. you're respecting me. Yeah. You get disrespectful to me, and I'm like, wait a second. It's it's almost like a threat that you're disrespecting me. It's it's I'm not good enough, and so all of a sudden now it's fight or flight. I yeah. either want to puff up my chest and I want to get in your face and try to earn your respect, or I'm going to disappear and then I'm going to feel number five shame. You know, I was driving back uh, on the interstate. In this, I'm on the interstate all the time, but I think guys can relate to this you know, when you're, when you're going a pretty good speed, you're even over the speed limit a little bit. I was passing three semis on the highway and this guy in his little sports car comes flying. I'm probably doing 100, 110 and he's two feet from my back bumper. And he's just sitting right there. I mean, I can't even see, all I can see is his windshield. You, you see, I see it on your face. You can feel it, man. You're like, dude, you, you, you know, and at that moment, you don't, you slam on your brakes, you're going to kill everybody. So you don't slam on your brakes. Most guys don't. They want to, because you want to prove right. to him. Sure. You know, all these. So then maybe it's like, you know, you tip the mirror a little bit to let him know you're looking at him. You're not happy about it. Or then you're thinking, well, I'll just slow way down, right? Because I'm going to take this guy off because you're being disrespectful. Or then you're gonna maybe go real slow around that semi and get over so slow that when it comes around you, you're gonna let him know he's number one or you're gonna flex him a little bicep like you want a piece of this kind of a deal. hey
0: were you following me in traffic yesterday
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so you know and I have been known to turn on my windshield wiper fluid especially if it's a convertible you know that guy's you know like, you know just can...
0: that's a good one I didn't think of that one
1: yeah at <laughs> least it doesn't you know cause a wreck but so I I finally got, got a hold of me He goes Brent. He goes, why are you so ticked off at this guy? And I'm like, God, he's being so disrespectful. He goes, why do you need his respect to be okay with yourself? It's his mm. issue, not yours. Mm. Just get in the other lane. You don't know his story. Maybe maybe he just lost a loved one. Maybe his wife just you know, called the marriage off or a kid's pregnant or son's on drugs or right. whatever. Or maybe he's just a jerk. That's still his issue. It's not yours. Wow. You don't need his respect because you have me inside of you. You have everything you'll need. And I began to feel, man, that that pressure start to go down like a pressure release valve was opened mm-hmm. up yeah. because I was beginning to renew my mind with who I was. And it didn't come from this guy.
0: Yeah. And 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 it's not a coincidence that anger is the next one of that on that list, because the disrespect factor in guys always I'm going to say in my situation, I won't speak for everybody, but almost always leads to the next one, the anger yeah. or, or some version of anger, right? I may not be throwing things and punching walls, but it does stir something up in me. And that can create outlets that are not as righteous, like we talked about earlier, and create those things in us that detract from what our whole purpose is to begin with and what our calling is and what our mission is and who we are as men. Like that can chip away at that. And so I'm glad that, I mean, this list just kind of started unfolding to me as I'm reading the book and it's just like, oh man, that, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that coming, you know? So what was a surprise to you as far as feedback from this book that you got? Was there anything that shocked you that came from guys and, and what's about it?
1: I mean, you know, what's really funny is, you know, one of my, my heroes, again, being in the, in the outdoor world, you know, anybody that's out there that does any hunting, whether it's big game or duck hunting or any kind of thing. There's a guy named Will Primos, Primos Hunting Calls, Primos Hunting Blinds. There's all these, it's in all over Cabela's, Dunham's, wherever you go and television shows. And I got a phone call one day and Will Primos had been one of my heroes. Um, and I didn't know Will, but I, I knew someone who had, you know, worked with him years ago. And I told him I was working on this new book. And that was all, all that I knew. And my, he's got a, he's from Mississippi and he's got a big Southern draw. And my phone rings and I say, hello. It was like. A year ago october and i said uh, two years ago now and i said um yeah, hello and he goes is this brand and i knew that voice Did i mean you? right now wow. and i'm like oh my gosh why are you calling me and i thought somebody's punking me right you know someone mm-hmm. that can really do voices yeah and he said hey he says do you know such and such i said i do he said well he said you've got this new book that you're working on and that you really had thought highly of me and that maybe he said he thought maybe i might Take a look at it and see if I would endorse it for you. And I'm like, that would be awesome. Wow. And he had me just send him the manuscript. And he had like FedEx or someone printed out for him. And this guy's a gazillionaire, right? He took the time to get that printed out and go through it. And he keep, keeps texting and calling me for the next couple of months as he's going through this going, man, I'm dog ear every page. I'm highlighting, I'm underlining, man, this is just... And this guy's that like the been.
0: Babe Ruth of duck, the Duck World. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. And he got a hold of me, and he said, "You know, there's a lot of bad theology out there." He said, "But you really hit this one out of the park." He said, "I'm relating to everything you're talking about here," and he wrote me a really great write-up. And so, you know, to have someone again who who is is a strong believer, um, who didn't have to take the time because of his platform to do this. Yeah. And to hear him say this really rocked my world. That that was a That was pretty. That's,
0: I mean, that's huge. And I can only imagine there's countless other pockets throughout the country um, and just men that you've discipled or coached, or, you know, I'm sure there's just floods of feedback, positive feedback on how this has been a game changer. Um, Man, I guess uh, as I'm respectful of your time and I definitely want to get to a place where we can get your resources and find out where to find you and those kinds of things and track you down, um, I have a couple more. So, in a perfect world, if you're waving the wand and, and, you know, you have, you know, God says, Hey, I'm going to give you a couple of not wishes, you know, let's just be fun for a minute. A couple of wishes here. You can, you can snap your fingers and this is what, what's lacking right now. What's lacking today in the world of men's ministry from a church perspective, where's the church missing it with guys and really starting to like get this masculinity thing boiling to a point where it needs to be.
1: You know, it's a difficult thing. And I think anyone who like myself is an ordained pastor who's out there. um, If you're really going to reach men, you got to get in the trenches with them and you got to be vulnerable. But here's the thing that it's so sad for a staff church person to become vulnerable and really talk about, not just the things that maybe that they've done, but even the thoughts that go through their head, the temptations they have, can get other people to start to gossip or to judge. And they begin to wear the mask and they don't get, they don't get honest, they don't get real. They will to a point that it sounds like they really are, but they're not really getting there. They're gonna yeah. give you this much to make it sound like they're really getting there. Yeah. And when you don't really open up with other men, they're not going to open up either. And they don't want to be a part of that. They want to have, they want to be in the company of a place that's safe. One of my, my favorite authors and a friend, John Lynch, wrote in his book, The Cure, imagine a place so safe that we could share the worst about ourselves and actually be loved more, not less for the telling of it. Wow. I was, I was in a cohort with, with John and Bill Thrall and some of these guys from True Face, uh, big ministry. And I got there my very first night and I don't know if you follow baseball at all. Oh, um, yeah. You know, Jeremy Affelt, he was a pitcher for the Giants.
0: Oh, I don't know.
1: He, he was the World Series pitcher. Anyhow, he, okay. uh, he's my bunkmate. And I, like when we're there and I'm like, what am I? I can't believe I'm in here with this guy, right? And it was just one of those those things where he was so real. And he could tell you the worst about himself. And he did. There was about mm. 10 of us in this cohort and he would share some of his biggest struggles. And I'm going, this is not like what you get in men's groups because it mean, whether it be the language or the, whether the, the circumstances he was talking about, but what did it do? It didn't drive the others from him in a, in a form of like judgment. We're all going, I I wanna be that free that I can really tell you. And the only way you can get there is you have to know your identity doesn't come from what your, what your sin was or what your temptations are. And we have to remember, those temptations, those unhealthy thoughts that we're having, yeah. they're not coming from the real you, which is Christ in you. They're mm-hmm. coming from the father of lies, like Jesus says in John 8, 44. So you want to get a man to be real? He has to, he has to learn where his identity really comes from. Mm-hmm. Because when he can do that, he can now be vulnerable because it doesn't matter what you say or think about him. Because I don't get my worth and value from you. I don't answer to you. Mm-hmm. It's only God and God says I'm good enough. And that's why he sent his son to die for me, not in my flesh, Mm -hmm. but as a believer, I'm good enough in him because I have his righteousness.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And And, that's where where they're missing it. That's amazing. And I think that's the church probably needs to expand some of their, um, and not all churches. I know there's churches that do it right, but I would just say that we maybe need to get a little more aggressive and, and be a little more vulnerable and, and authentic whenever it comes to men's ministry and how we unpack guys, stuff um and i think it's doing things like the hunting you know guys want to be outdoors guys want to go do things it's not we don't always want to sit around and and talk about it around a table although there's value in that for sure right but the point that you made about the baseball player that i think is crucial is guys feel like they've got too much to lose by opening pandora's box their sin box or whatever their faults box you know insecurities but that guy had a lot to lose you know, being a MLB pitcher and a lot of folks that are celebrity feel like they've got way too much to lose to expose themselves. And I think guys on the ground level with you and I, you know, me and just the average guy on the street, I think feel like we have too much to lose if we're vulnerable or, or if we're open, you know, an open book. And I think, like you said, it's not about, it's not about what we're doing, what we've done. It's not about the sin because I've heard sin described as, meeting a uh, meeting a legitimate need in an illegitimate way yeah the sin you know your your need is not the bad thing it's the way that we want to meet that need and so um guys just i think we like you said we got to get down to the bare basics the brass tacks of who we are in christ and and it's not defined by our sin our accomplishments our circle you know, it's not defined by those things. We've already won. He's already told us who we are, right? We just got to kind of claim that and, and, and receive that. So, man, I appreciate you talking about some of this stuff today. I appreciate your wisdom behind it, too. And, man, do you have any last bits that you kind of want to just impart uh, uh, upon the audience and, and last things you might want to get off your chest and when it comes to anything about your book or anything about what you're seeing and, and how guys, like we said, we're saving lives today. What's a thing you can leave them with, a parting shot today?
1: Well, do you want it to be just some kind of a brief little thing, or do you want a story?
0: Uh, That's what you're looking for. I, I would like, I mean, I'll, I'll take a story. All right.
1: So, you know, I've, I've had a, a lot of hunts around the world, crazy stuff. You know, we've caught black mambas by hand, dumbest thing I've ever done. You know, why would you do that, right? Because <laughs> you're thinking that you could be like the guy in Wild Kingdom that used to do stuff, you know. Yeah, I see um,
0: pictures of seven foot, eight foot bears in your book, and it's a little disturbing, but yeah.
1: Well, let me talk about that. Let me go there. Okay, so that one bear you saw that was laying in front of me, that real um, long haired bear that's uh-huh. laying in front of me there. I was in Colorado, and I, and I hunt out there every year, elk hunt, and I have bear tags too. You know, And I'm all archery. You know, I'm, I'm not a gun hunter. I have guns, but um, I like bow. I love the challenge of it. Um, you have to be able to get real close. And yeah. I love that. I love that. So the whole goal is not being seen, heard, or smelled. If you're going to be successful, that's what it is. And so I've got different sponsors in the outdoor industry, you know, scent control and camouflage, all kinds of things. Bear archery, I've been with them forever. And so I'm, I at this private hand-built cabin in the mountains of Colorado, not near anything where, I mean, there's bears everywhere, elk everywhere. So I'm the first one out on the porch, like I am every morning. And I'm getting all my camouflage out of these plastic tubs, rubber tubs that I, I keep scent free in there. And I'm out there. Now, I had a rifle with me, but what we take our rifles for, at least I do, is that the last day, if I filled my tags in archery, we'll put targets out there, you know, at two, three, 400 yards and just kind of see you can hit them, you know, for fun. Yeah. So I had a, a 30-06 with me, but I'm out there. My bow case is open. and my rifle case, I had opened it up because I felt this voice inside of me say, Brent, I want you to take your gun. And I'm going, why would I take my gun? I mean, everything I do is an archery. And this voice says, do you trust me? And I'm like, okay, this is kind of strange here. But in Colorado, you can carry both weapons. It's you're legal to do that. And I had a tag. So I get out and I, all right. So I've got my both weapons and I've got about a mile to go to where I'm going to be in a hunting blind. I had set up over a spring a few days earlier and I brushed it in, hadn't used it at all. And I, there's three times this trail splits and it's in the dark. Now, remember I said, don't be seen, heard, or smelled. That's the whole game, right? So, you know, I've sprayed down with all my scent control stuff and I get to this first split in the path. Now, if you go to the right, it's pruned out. You're not going to, it's been cleared out of brush and rocks. You're going to be quiet. You're not going to leave skin cells on branches, but to the left, it's more of almost like a game trail. It's overgrown. And the same voice that told me to take my gun says, I want you to go left. And I'm going, why would I go left? I'm going to, this is their bedroom, God. I mean, come on. Because I knew who was talking to me. And I'm going, okay, wait, is this the enemy messing with me here? no.
0: God doesn't All care right, God, about I trust you. <laughs> you know,
1: so so I go left and I'm going, oh, great. I'm making noise. It's going to take me longer to get there. I get to the second split of these three splits in the trail. And the, I go to go right quick, hoping, hoping maybe he won't say go left. And he goes, no, I want you to go left. And I'm like, now I'm mad. And I'm arguing, God, I'm a professional here. I know what I'm, do you trust me? And I'm like, oh, really? You're going to play that card? All right. So now I'm going through this stuff. I'm holding weapons above my head, trying to get through all this brush. It's taking me way longer. I get to the third split in the trail and I go, all right, I know you want me to go left. I got it. And I'm, I'm knocking over shale rock and making noise. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to see anything today. I get down to this little bit of a meadow. It's not very wide. It's maybe 25 yards across by about 60 yards long. And that's where I had this blind set up. And it's getting light. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I got here and it's, you know, it's getting light out. And I can see my blind where it was brushed in is smashed it's flattened and the brush is down my chair is laying out of the blind it's over here I have an elk decoy it's over here my my scent control bottle's got big bite holes in it and right in front of the blind there's a big still steaming because it was like 36 degrees pile of bear dung laying right in front of it and I'm like oh my gosh he was just here he tore my blind apart so I get in the blind and I'm trying to put this thing together and I, and I can barely, because it's, it's broken, the hubs and everything. And so I, I get a little bit of a window open thinking, well, maybe I can salvage this. So I get my phone to text a buddy of mine three hours away. And I'm telling him, man, you're not going to believe this. And as I look out the window, here comes that bear straight at the blind. He was, he started off at about, when I saw him about 20 yards away, and he's coming right at me. I didn't have time to get an arrow out of the quiver and get it knocked up and try to, you know, make a shot that way. I grabbed the 30-06, out clicked off the safe. Pulled the trigger because all I saw through the scope through that window was brown he was right in front of me oh my God. flattened him on the spot right there oh my God. and I didn't I didn't put two and two together at the moment so I, I text my buddy and I'm telling him, you're not gonna believe this and now my hands are starting to do this I'm shaking because I'm realizing what could have just happened I was right? gonna say yeah and then my buddy heard the shot and he's like he's on the radio he goes what are you doing man he goes, what are you, what are you shooting your gun for? And I go, dude, you're not going to get over here. You're not going to believe this. He saw me on the porch trying to figure out why I was going to, you know, take the gun. And I told him the story. and He goes, Brent, he goes, what would have happened had you got here five minutes earlier? I said, I'd have been right in there when that bear was tearing things apart. So the picture you saw of that bear, it doesn't look like your typical black bear. It wasn't black. Right. And it wasn't just a blonde fair bear face. The DNR thinks it crossbred with a grizzly, and that's part of the reason why it's as long as it was and why it was so aggressive. Mm. But I always say, guys, you know, it took one shot because I knew my weapon and I knew how to use it. Guys, if you do not know the word of God and you don't have other men around you encouraging you and walking with you, when the enemy comes after you with those unhealthy thoughts that he does, those temptations are going to they're going to fester, on you if, if you don't use the weapon that God gave you to get rid of the lie that you're buying into that, that thing is going to make you feel better.
0: Mm-hmm. Now it's going
1: to lead to that number five man killer, which is
0: shame. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's, I mean, we didn't plan that. And uh I, that was a perfect way to go and a perfect way to end the talk. Um, and I would say you had your own little uh Peter and the nets moment where they've been fishing all night and got, and Jesus says, let's, let's go back out. And you're like, I'm the fisherman. I know where to go. You know, how many times did you have an opportunity to ignore that and go the easier path? Right. And you, yep. you went in obedient. I think the key here is obedience. And so I, I feel like there's guys out there that, that hear that voice or feel that in their spirit, that impartation from the Holy spirit. Like I feel like we ignore it a lot of times just to go down the easy road. So guys, I'm going to leave you with this. Like, I, I think there's so many takeaways. Um, but you got to know who you are in Christ. Like that's the main thing. Just be certain of who you are, get in the word and understand it, get to know the father, but you got to be near the father to know the father. So get close to him, understand who he is, what he says about us. And then we don't need all these other sideline distractions, these other things, these little affirmations or validations, right. To define us. And to Brent's point, like, You don't need that. You just need the basics of who God says you are. And that'll define your purpose, right? That will gain you and earn you the respect that will replace anger with peace. Right. And that will extinguish some of those desires to go the wrong direction in the sin category. And ultimately that shame starts to fade. Right. And, and when you start to be certain of who you are in Christ, I think you can be confident in that. So with that, Hey, Brent, where can we get the book? Where can we find your resources?
1: Yeah. I mean, you can go to, you know, Baker books. Uh, you can go through Amazon. I mean, that's probably the cheapest and fastest yeah. way to get it. Um, you know, you can go to uh, men, not men's menministry.org If you want to get more information. And the other thing, I've got something on that website called the truth finder. And if you want to look for verses that are going to help you to renew your mind, I've got them all listed there. No matter what you're going through, I've got wow. a title for it that. You can find those on there. So,
0: wow. Say that website again. It's menministry.org. Menministry.org. I'll put it in the show notes. Hey, it's been a blessing. It's been great to know you, man. Uh, Audience, with that, he's been Brent Henderson. We've been last in line. Be blessed.